Good evening and welcome to episode 204 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzama Dungwa Kumalo. As you can see, we're in a slightly different setup. Well, this is the life of a property investor. You find yourself on site and it was a toss-up between not being on the show, which we obviously never do, or just taking out your laptop and doing the show because we have an appointment every single evening at 7 p.m. And that's certainly something that we'll never disappoint in. We love talking uh, property matters here on the Private Property Podcast. And sometimes, as you certainly see, we're going to be talking property matters while dealing with our very own uh, property matters. So if you're joining us for the first time, well, you're certainly in for a treat and sort of getting first-hand experience of what goes on behind behind the scenes. And to all our regular viewers, welcome back to the Private Property Podcast. It's always so great to have you. You know that we love connecting with you. So do make sure that you follow us across our social media pages and also follow myself at Zamandumwa underscore K on Twitter as well as on Instagram. Now, another thing that we absolutely love doing here on the Private Property is, of course, making this property circle bigger. I am talking about the other great shows that we have across uh, you know, our social media platforms as well as your TV screens. Every Tuesdays and Thursdays, you can look forward to the the farming podcast with Umbali Nogo. I saw yesterday she had somebody from Native Norsi and they were talking about, you know, bee farming and I absolutely love the story that Native Norsi actually has around how they started farming and essentially the, the you know, the story of the father and how their father was actually the one who started out with farming and had an interest in sort of beekeeping and of course it also grew to the kids. So do make sure that you go back to that episode that Umbali brought to your screens yesterday evening to catch up on what Native Norse is all about and their story of bee farming. I know it's one of those things that we probably don't quite think about, uh, but bees play a very crucial role in the overall ecosystem uh, of even our everyday lives. Now, for those of you who are looking and are in the market to buy that first property, well, we've got the show for you. It is the first time home buyers market with SC Carson and that comes to your screens every single Wednesdays at 8 p.m. and there she takes you through what you can expect on your home buying journey, some of the mistakes that you definitely want to avoid and how to make the home ownership journey as seamless as possible. I think it can be such a, you know, such a overwhelming experience, but you also actually just want it to be one of those experiences that uh, you enjoy and document as much as you can along the journey. So do make sure that you tune into the first time home buyers show every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. to get your taste of what you can expect when you buy that first property. Now, as we gear up for the weekend, we're not going to be leaving you alone. Chad is going to bring you the Home Shoppers Show, where he's going to give you a sneak peek of what you can expect in some of the best estates and complexes that this country has on offer. So do make sure that you catch that show every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. And you can get a sense of what you can expect should you move into any of those 
places. Now, I did say that we're not only on your, you know, on your phone or your iPad or your Mac, your laptop, but also on your TV screens. And I am talking about the Zansi Cribs makeover that you can look forward to on your television screens. It comes to your screens every single Thursdays at 9.30 and, of course, as well as over the weekend. Now, another thing that we're quite excited about, especially because it's Friday and we get to unveil the lucky winner uh, of the Sherlock Holmes competition. And we are running that Sherlock Holmes competition for the next 12 weeks. We are now in week five. And all you have to do is to go into our website, www privateproperty.co.za. Make sure you follow where the riddle leads you and let us know if you are able to crack where the riddle leads you. And if you are, then you stand a chance of walking away with 5,000 Rand voucher every single Friday. And to keep things interesting and hot because we absolutely love doing that, we also give away 500 Rand in cash every Thursdays as well as on Wednesdays. And all you have to do is to be watching us live in order to claim your price. Now, that's certainly what you can expect here across private property, social media platforms. We're going to continue giving you more property content and making sure that we are best place to make empowered decisions when it comes to our property needs. Now that gets us into this evening's conversation that, and this is one of those topics that I know many of you at home are very aware of, you know, how I often talk about uh, how we pay so much for insurance. And I, I, I talk about that because I always feel as though you pay for a lot. Life insurance seems to be other insurance matter that we are dealing with all the time. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at this evening. We're going to be looking at three things you should know about life insurance when you're buying a property, because it really is an important thing to always bear in mind, uh, but also to be aware of you know, what is included, what is not included. So you do not want to find yourself in a situation where you want to make a claim only to find that you've been paying for many, many years. And unfortunately, you're not able to make that claim uh, because it's not included. And to help us better understand, um, you know, these three things that we should certainly be mindful of, somebody who needs no introduction to the private property family, and that is Barbara Mandel. Barbara, good evening, and thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Zama. Thank you so much for having me. As always, it's a pleasure. It's always so great to speak to you, Barbara. I think, you know, I was saying that insurance is one of those things that we often struggle with so much. Uh, especially because I know a lot of us, myself included, and I always share with viewers at home, certainly feel as though we are paying so much insurance. There's always just some other thing that we need to insure. And of course, when you then go into buying a property and then finding out that you actually need to bear in mind that you need you know, insurance and it's particular kinds of insurance products, I'm sure it can be so overwhelming uh, to so many viewers at home. So I want us to almost make viewers aware of what they need to be uh, certainly cognizant of when they're going to be buying property, the questions they need to be asking, uh, what's included and excluded so that they don't find themselves in the unfortunate situation where they're you know, unable, they want to make a claim and only to find out later that that actually wasn't included in their insurance premium. Perhaps take us then, Barbara, to you know, the first thing that we certainly need to know about when we talk about insurance when we're buying a property. So some of the first thing I say that's really important is to understand the exclusions. 
that is applicable to your life cover policy. A lot of people uh, think that life cover is life cover and when I die, they'll pay out. But there's certain exclusions and it differs from company to company. And I think that's very important to remember because not all companies have got the same exclusions. Most of the companies have a common two-year suicide exclusion. So if you commit suicide within the first two years, they won't pay out your life cover. But other companies then have exclusions like if you're breaking any law and you die as a result thereof, uh, they won't pay out. And now if you look at breaking the law, that could include drunken driving. So you're having a good time with your mate, you're on your way home, unfortunately you die in a car accident and no life cover payout. Um, so I think that's, that's very important that people understand the exclusions that is applicable to their policy. And it's often on every single quote. So before you even apply for the cover, make sure to read that quote. It's on there. It's very clear. Sometimes it's hidden in the small print. If you're making use of a financial advisor to take out this life cover, ask them, what is the exclusion particular to this policy? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Barbara, I think it is that issue is probably one of the ones that are so difficult because when you are getting a life policy and you're getting a quote, you're probably not thinking to ask about exclusions, right? Because you're thinking, look, this is going to cover me in the event of the death, so I'm actually just going to be fine. Then perhaps let's look at what the guarantee and the term for premium, you know, what that effectively means, um, especially in helping viewers at home better understand what it is they are about to sign up for. So. Every life insurance company, when they give you a quote, they they say, we will guarantee this premium for 10 or 15 years. Now, what this effectively means is that specific premium with the premium pattern, we'll get to the premium patterns in just a minute. We will, they will guarantee that that will not go up outside of the contractual um, premiums that they've agreed to. Now, after the 10-year period, like we are now experiencing a worldwide pandemic, the insurers might say, well, listen, our risk is now actually increased because more people are likely to die of COVID. So we are now compensating for that by increasing your premiums. So if you've got a policy that's only got a 10-year guarantee period, after that period, they can then up their policy. And again, every um, company is different. So they've got different margins, but most of them ranges from 15 all the way up to 25% of a premium increase that they can apply at a single point in time, that's over and above your normal annual premium increase. So you could find yourself, depending on what your premium increase is, with a 20, 35% um, premium increase in, in, in one year. So the longer that that period is that they guarantee that premium for, the better for you. Uh, and it's something that a lot of people don't really pay attention to. But, and it does make a difference in the premium sometimes. Um, you know, if you even get guys that say, well, I don't really want this premium guarantee, and then the premium is quite a lot cheaper, but you have to remember that at every given point in time, it can increase to 25% without due warning with you. I mean, it's literally two months notice, and your your premium two months later could be 25% more. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I think it's already so much, so difficult just dealing with the annual increases themselves. 
Uh, I mean, I typically tend to struggle every time they send you that email with it's going to increase, it's, you know, your premium is going to go from, let's say you're paying 700 rands, you're now going to be paying 770. And, you know, every single year it just keeps chipping in and chipping in and chipping in. And unfortunately, it's one of those things that you can easily be paying for 10, 15, even more years. And so when you sometimes kind of look at how much you end up spending and the annual escalations, it can get so overwhelming, um, especially in trying to you know, effectively budget as, as much as possible. Now then, Barbara, when we then look at the, the, the second issue, uh, and that's of premium patterns, perhaps take us through what we need to be aware of when it comes to premium patterns. So, Zawa, typically for if, you, if you're taking out the, the life cover for the purposes of a bond, you want that life cover to remain as stable as possible, you don't necessarily need the cover to increase because your bond is decreasing every year. So you don't necessarily need the cover to increase. I always recommend to the guys that at least for the least first 10 years, keep it at that level um, of your original bond because then if something does happen to you, you've got the ability to pay the transfer duties and your family has got a lot more, oh, uh, not transfer duties, sorry, transfer fees because there's no transfer duties on there. So there's a lot of things that, your family can do with that extra bit of money um, versus the, the small premium that you pay. So that's the first thing. So life insurance increases typically is twofold. So firstly, whatever you want your benefits to increase is an increase in the premium. So if you keep your premiums level for the purposes of a bond, that takes out one part of that um, escalation annually. Then you get what we call premium patterns. And it's to allow for the different purposes of insurance to make it cheaper for the guys at some point, um, but it will then get more expensive. So typically in the market, you've got a, a level premium pattern, which means it will remain the same apart from the premium guarantee throughout the duration of the policy. You also have then term cover and whole of life cover, uh, which also then plays a role. So at the end of term cover, the policy comes to an end, whole of life, is you pay until you die. So that level premium pattern will remain the same for the term of the policy unless you ask to change it. You then on the right of the other end of the spectrum, you get what they call an age-rated premium pattern. So every year as you age, it will go up. And most companies have got a band. So let's say when you're 20 to 30 years old, the band is 2.5%. But by the time you're 50, 60 years old, that band increases to 12.5% because that's what they call an age rate. The older you get, the higher that increase is on a, on a monthly ba or an annual basis. Then you get somewhere in the middle where they call it a compulsory increase. So you can say, I want my premium to increase by 5% every year, and then it will just increase by 5% for the duration of the policy. So there's the real cheap and nasty, what we call the age rated. It's usually the cheapest upfront. Then you've got your compulsory that will just increase with the same percentage every year. And then you've got your level that will remain the same throughout the policy. But your level's the most expensive. Your age rate is generally the cheaper one. Mm -hmm. and, and perhaps, Barbara, it would be great to hear from you then, which, how, do, how can viewers at home sort of navigate which type to choose? Um, I mean, because sometimes perhaps you might be in your late 20s buying a property. Other people are probably... Uh, slightly older, how should you almost weigh up which option of those three to, to opt for? So the very first thing is, I might, is to determine for how long you're planning to have this insurance. If you're buying a rental property and you're planning to only keep this bond for 10 years of time, then an age rate might be worth it for you. 
Um, but if you're planning to keep this bond for 20 years' time, then you might want to look at a compulsory or a level premium. It depends on how long you want this insurance for. That's the first one. The second one is then also ask your advisor if you're using an advisor or when you get your quotes, they usually give you a premium projection for the next 10 to 15 years. Have a look at those premiums. Multiply that monthly premium by 12 and add it in the table. You will then have a break-even point. So you will then be able to determine, okay, right, at age rated, my total premiums will be after 10 years. This, for example, use 10,000 rand. But 5% compulsory would have been 8,000 rand. Level would have been 12,000 rand. So after 10 years, I want to settle my bond. Let's go for the 5% compulsory because that is the one that will be work out cheapest for the term that I'm trying to have. So that is, that's the golden rule. Add the premium patterns. Look at the time that you're planning to, to uh, have this cover for and then decide where the break-even point is and um, what you prepare to pay now. Mm. I am this evening speaking to Barbara Mandel, who's a founder of Your Money Life Coach. And we're looking at three things you should know about life insurance when you're buying a property. I think with so many people looking to get their foot in the property ladder, this is one of those things that you can very easily miss. Luckily, during your home buying journey, you tend to find that the bank will ask about uh, you know, insurance or if you are covered. Sometimes different service providers will try to sell it to you if you've used uh, perhaps a bond originator. I know that the major bond originators typically have a, a product that they will try to sell to you. Sometimes the banks themselves also try to you know, sell you life insurance. So it certainly is one of those things that you need to be very aware of and know how to best navigate uh, because you're going to encounter it. There's almost no way around it really. And if you opt to you know, do something slightly different, and maybe Barbara will touch on it slightly later around people who tend to not then take you know specific uh, life cover for the bond but they already have a, a life cover and they choose to cede that cover to the bond in the event where should something happen to them um, they, the, the financial institution will still be able to you know, essentially recover their funds perhaps we'll touch on that a little bit later to just what are the things you should bear in mind should you opt uh, to go in that direction as opposed to taking any of the offers from the financial institutions that are definitely going to try and sell you one that's specifically about your, your home loan. Now, Barbara, we are taking also your questions and comments at home on this one. If you've ever encountered it, you know, how did you, was it an overwhelming experience? I know I was quite overwhelmed. Uh, and, and, and part of me being overwhelmed is because I think we just pay for so much insurance and there are always these terms and conditions you have to read and try to understand. So it can actually get quite a bit and I see that there's a there's also a viewer at home who shares that sentiment we've got a comment here from uh, Nicholas Maskis who says always read the contract because once you would like to claim you become aware of the exclusions take time to read and if you don't understand ask and 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 uh, Nicola continues then to ask the question saying if someone inherits the property after your death does that mean that the policy will then be cancelled and the person can take their own insurance. Yeah, so remember the, ins the, the life insurance specifically is on the life of the bond owner or the, the life assured as we call it in the insurance industry. So you can't continue it post-death to someone else unless you've got a joint life policy that has been set up that way from the get-go. Um, so the minute someone passes away, that policy, the, the, the life assured passes away, that policy in effect 
then pays out and is done with. Mm-hmm. Now, Barbara, then let's look at the, the last thing that we need to be you know, aware of when it comes to life insurance and buying a property, and that's, of course, underwriting. Uh, take us through what we need to know and understand when it comes to underwriting. So, first of all, not many people quite understand what underwriting is, so I'm just going to briefly explain. Underwriting is the process of the insurer to determine what the risk, the risk is they're taking on. So they will look at your health, your age, your job, um, how much you travel for work. That's quite important for them. And they will then decide if you are worth the risk at the original premium they quoted you or are they going to load you for health reasons or because you travel too much or because you do international travel, especially now with COVID. That was a big thing for them. So that's the process of underwriting. It's basically to determine if that original quote that they gave you are they prepared with your specific conditions to still accept it at that premium? So the one thing about underwriting, and I cannot stress this enough for people, is you get underwritten and non-underwritten life insurance. Now, your underwritten life insurance, unless you have not disclosed a health factor to the, the life insurance company, has got a higher likelihood of paying out than a non-underwritten insurance. Because most of the non-underwritten insurance will then first look, well, did you have any pre-existing conditions? Um, that, that That's generally an exclusion under non-underwritten policies. And then they would say, well, it had an effect, so we are now going to pay out less. You'll also find that typically the non-underwritten insurance, because the insurer is not able to determine the risk accurately, is often more expensive than the underwritten um, policies. They also have generally more exclusions, like we spoke about the first point. Um, they often have very weird exclusions, um, like we just spoke earlier about a client who overdosed on drugs. He, he, he effectively committed suicide, but because taking drugs was one of those exclusions, they didn't pay out. So you've got a lot more certainty with an underwritten policy versus a non-underwritten policy um, for a payout. We also touched briefly, as you mentioned, on beneficiary nominations. Um, that's also very important to understand on where, where is this fund going? Is there a session in place? So when there is a session in place, it will first go to the session holder. Whatever is then left is then the duty of the session holder to pay to the beneficiary of that policy. Mm. Now, there's a lot to it. So it's wise if you do have a session to sometimes review it after let's say 10 years let's say you you've got a property for 20 years you sign for the full bond value as a session now after 10 years that that bond value is let's say half because you've been paying an extra or whatever now ask them to reduce that session because then the insurer will look at it and say well okay you only had a 50 percent session yes your portion yes your portion to the rest of the beneficiaries so that there's equal, you know, that it happens faster. You don't have to wait for the bank until they've received their settlement, settle the bond, and then only to pay you the access to the rest of your beneficiaries. It's also very important to nominate a beneficiary on a policy like that, even though it's seeded. Because if you do have a beneficiary nomination on that policy and the bank has, well, let's say you've, you've settled the bond but you forgot about the session, the bank will then look inside to the insurer, okay, who do we pay this money to, the, either the estate or the beneficiary? And if there is a beneficiary, that money can at least go to the beneficiary and you save on executive fees while winding up your estate. Mm-hmm. 
And it's such an important thing to note, you know, Barbara, because I think oftentimes when it comes to, you know, life insurance and even having a conversation with perhaps the beneficiaries, it, it, it's such a, a, a thorny issue because I think in an ideal world, you'd also just want to let the beneficiaries know that, listen, I have these policies, you are the beneficiary, this is roughly how much it's going to be, you know, I've seeded this particular policy over here, so that in the event that I pass away, you don't have to deal with, you know, question marks or not knowing what needs to be done, how much the amount is, and, and those kinds of things, which unfortunately does become uh, quite, quite, quite admin-intensive, um, and, and I think with many families, we've also seen that they, it, it also causes quite a lot of conflict. Uh, so I do urge viewers at home to start having a conversation. I see, Barbara, you want to add on to that one? Yeah. So I've got what I call a life file. And in my life file is not necessarily all my documents, but it tells my family where my documents are. So it, for instance, tells them my will is with company X. When I die, go to them. These are the life policies. These are the funeral policies I've got. This is my retirement and investment funds I've got. It makes it just so much easier. I've also included a section about my social media profiles and what should happen to them so that, you know, at least people can deal with it because I think a lot of people don't want to see their family's profiles um, past their death on social media. Some people do. Um, so I've given them the option. There's the details do what you 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 want you wish to. So that life file is the court of everything. It contains everything that when I die, they don't have to scramble and try and find out what I've had. It's mm. all there. They can just work with that and talk to the relevant people named yeah. in that file. It also gives them an indication of the people I trusted while I was alive to deal with my matters. Mm. I actually love that idea. I was actually having a conversation with my mother earlier about how I need to send her almost an updated version of this is where you can find my things in the event of passing away uh, so that you don't have to sort of think about where certain things might be or struggling to find certain things. I like the idea of even adding social media uh, accounts and perhaps passwords to say, you know, you can deactivate here uh, or download the file first and then you can deactivate. So if you ever want to sort of go back and read whatever, then you at least have a sense of, you know, being able to do so. And we're taking more of your questions and comments on this matter. We've got a question from Facebook, Happiness Lala asking, what's the difference between term life insurance and permanent life insurance? Okay, so term life insurance basically means at the end of that specific term, it's usually done in periods of five years, so five, 10, 15 or 20 years. At the end of that life insurance, it comes to an end. Um, your whole of life insurance is as long as you continue to pay the premiums, you are then covered. Term life insurance are, is often cheaper because the insurer carries the risk for a shorter period of time versus whole life of insurance. Um, back to our point of underwriting, that's where the size of factor is. So when you took out this policy 20 years ago, you might have been fit and healthy and young. And 20 years after that, you might or have all sorts of ailments. Um, so it might be worth it for you to consider what is the real purpose of this life insurance when you take it out before you decide whole of life or term life. 
Mm. We've got another question here. This one coming from K Fortune asking: Is it important? It, it it is important to have full disclosures as this can affect your payout or even if it pays out or not. That's actually a comment with a question, uh, which is so true because I think if you sort of disclose upfront all these things, uh, you want to rather do that than. By the time you want to claim, all sorts of things are now sort of unraveling and being found out. Because one thing we can trust insurance companies about is that they will investigate and they will find a reason not to pay out. So you almost want to just make sure there are all those disclosures up front uh, so you don't find yourself in that situation. Yeah, Zama, so we, uh, in the insurance industry, we generally look at how long the policy has been in place and what was the size and what the person died of. So if you've got, for example, uh, a client with a heart condition, um, the policy is three years old, now he dies of a heart condition, you're going to go, did you disclose that, yes or no? Um, so they always look at the reason for death. Um, 95% of the time, accidents get paid out very quickly. Um, natural causes depends the age, the likelihood of the scenario. Um, mm-hmm. But most life insurance nowadays, they, they're getting very proactive with their claims and how they deal with it. Um, it's often when there was non-disclosure, trust me, there's quite often a reason that they find it out. Um, and it's not just something that just happens. It's There's a reason that triggered that response why they went digging. Mm. Now, you know, Barbara, I actually got curious when you were talking about uh, you know, explaining the underwritten and, and, and ones that aren't underwritten. Do you find instances where certain customers essentially take both? So where you actually end up taking quite a number of different kinds of life insurance. Uh, do you sometimes find those instances where people do that uh, perhaps for their loved ones so that they have quite an excess amount of money uh, to, to have at their disposal? Yeah, so sometimes you do find it. However, because of the premium difference, people tend to either go for one or the other. It also depends on their personal circumstances. If they did have um, a serious illness, they'd rather than go for um, the non-underwritten life insurance because underwritten life insurance might be too expensive. They just then, again, need to be very, very wary of that exclusion. Um, because if they, so let's say, for example, they had cancer, now they, they have this um, life insurance, they die of cancer and cancer was an exclusion. Um, they need to be very aware of that. Mm-hmm. And actually on that, Barbara, we've got a great question. Thank you so much for asking. It's coming from Miriam Calvert, uh, also on Facebook, asking, if you've taken life insurance and then later find out you have a mental illness, should I let my insurance know? So we call it a disclosure event, and that, again, depends on the life insurance company. But 95% of the time, no, you don't have to disclose it. The general disclosure, disclosure items are if you change your job or you start taking what they call a hazardous pursuit. So you start permanently skydiving or diving or motor racing or things like that because that increases your risk, and that's something um, they that they want to know But You'll also notice that if you're a smoker or not, your rates vary quite different. Um, yeah, they're very, very much different. So if you are a smoker, your rates are higher. If you're a non-smoker, your rates are lower. But if you start smoking after you've taken the policy and don't cheat the policy, they will catch you up. They do a nicotine test. So don't say you're a non-smoker. They will 
they will find it out with especially with underwrites under a tin part they they do a nicotine test but if you're a non-smoker and you start smoking after the inception of the policy that's also not something you need to let them know of okay and, and barbara before we let you go any final tips for viewers at home when it comes to uh you know life insurance uh, when they're about to be buying their property my final tip is don't take the first offer you get shop around it's often worth it um, I believe that every insurance company is perfect for certain persons. Otherwise, we wouldn't have all of them. Um, so that's very important for me. Shop around, see who gives you the best premium for the longest period of time. So don't just compare what you're going to pay now. Compare what you're going to pay in the future as well to make sure that you are actually not doing. Because a lot of people take cheaper premium now and after 15 years, they can't afford it. And then they can't get other insurance because of medical changes. So my final word is shop around, make sure you understand the exclusions of your policy and make sure that you have had the discussion with your family to let them know, I've got life insurance, this is who it's with. Often mm-hmm. also, Zama, life insurance has got a small funeral component that will pay out as well. So it might also be worth, worth it to ask and then mention it to your family too. Mm. And that's a great place to leave it there, Barbara. Make sure you shop around and inform your family members as timelessly as possible. Well, Barbara, we are going to leave it there this evening. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Amma. Thanks for everyone listening. And that is Barbara Mandel, who is the founder of Your Money Life Coach this evening on the Private Property Podcast with myself, Zamandumwa Kumalo. We're going to go for a quick break. And when we come back, I will be unveiling who the lucky winner of that 5,000 Rand voucher is for our Sherlock Holmes competition. We'll be back just after this.
to the Friday edition of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzamando Kumalo. Well, it seems that tech gremlins certainly want us out of here. They want to get this weekend started. So we're not going to delay this one. We are, of course, unveiling the lucky winner of that 5,000 Rand voucher on our Sherlock Holmes competition. And the lucky winner of that 5,000 Rand voucher goes to Happiness Martina Lala. Happiness Lala, congratulations. And I know that you're watching because I saw one of the questions that you had sent us through earlier. So congratulations to you, Happiness. That certainly is a great way for you to kickstart your weekend. You walk away with that 5,000 Rand voucher. And of course, we will be announcing the new riddle for the sixth week of our Sherlock Holmes competition. So do watch out for it on Monday morning across our social media platforms. Well, that's it for me, Zamanto Mwakumalo, and the rest of the Private Property Podcast team. It has been a pleasure to be with you this week. Of course, you can look forward to Chad over the weekend with the Home Shoppers Show until Monday at 7 p.m. Hoping you're staying home and staying safe.
Hi, I'm Alan Footman. I'm a sports tour operator from Cape Town. My family and I have been living in the southern suburbs for 21 years. What we love about the neighborhood is it's very family orientated. Lots of things for the kids to do, uh, especially here where we are next to the farm where folk can walk the dog, go for runs and enjoy the fresh air. In the southern suburbs, we're lucky enough to have some of the top schools in the country. And on top of that, we have the University of Cape Town, one of the most famous universities in the world. Newlands is a great suburb. All the sporting amenities, Newlands rugby ground, cricket ground, etc. Down the road at Claremont, lots of shopping centres for the kids and for the mothers to do their shopping. Fantastic pubs and restaurants around like Forries, Springbok Bar. Bishop's Court is full of beautiful upmarket homes. Kirstenbosch Gardens, National Botanical Gardens right next door. What attracted us to Constantia is, is the large open spaces. I've always wanted to be a farmer and now I'm living next to Pro Constantia Wine Estate, the oldest wine farm in, in the country where you have fantastic wines, great restaurants, got the best of both worlds. My family and I have loved every moment of living in Constantia. We couldn't be happier, and this is our neighborhood.